Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Good morning, church. Happy New Year. And to the rest of you, Happy New Year as well. It's a delight to be here this morning with you. Most of you who know me know that I don't use a podium to preach, but uh, when you get a call on Friday afternoon to come preach on Sunday, um, a podium is necessary. <laughs> so uh, continue to please pray for Billy and for his family as they... Uh, I, you know, I said in the first, second service that he was under the influence of COVID. <laughs> and it, wasn't, it was not intended to be a slight. It was just uh, you know, under the influence of COVID, not under influence of anything else. But uh, continue to pray for them and uh, keep them in your prayers as they recover. And for all of those um, in our families and in our circles who are um, under the influence of COVID, um, that um, the Lord would um, minister His healing power and His virtue through them. Have you ever experienced a time when you've... Um, Forgotten something important. A couple of weeks ago, in fact, uh, just the week before Thanksgiving, I was at the local grocery store and, and I had gone through the aisles filling my cart full of stuff, some for the week, some for Thanksgiving. And so my cart was full and, and I took it to the register and I unloaded the cart onto the conveyor belt and the cashier started ringing me through and, and I went to help her, you know, bag the groceries and put all those bags in the, in the cart, and then she told me the total, and I reached for my, oops, guess what I forgot? <laughs> Don't you hate when that happens, and there are five people behind you, and they're all looking at you like, well, now what are you going to do? just hate it when you forget something important. I mean, I'm, I'm illegal because I don't have my driver's license. I have no money to pay for all this stuff. Now what do I do? The cashier was so gracious. She rang me out, told me to put my cart in a corner, and I, I drove home, grabbed my wallet, came back, paid my, for my stuff. Everything was good, but don't you hate it when you forget something vitally important? A wallet, a purse, those are important things. But perhaps in, in today's age, those are all, that's all old news. Perhaps more vitally important than all of that is a cell phone. I mean, it is your wallet, your brains, your digital assistant, your, your everything. I mean, what would we do today without one? <clears throat> we had a, um, a friend of my daughter stay over New Year's Day, and when she left a couple hours later, we got a frantic phone call from her father. Did she leave her phone at your house? Well, she forgot her phone, and it was in our house. But as far as she's concerned, her life is over <laughs> because her phone is at my house, not in her pocket. What do we do when we forget something vitally important? Well, if we're smart, we'll turn around, right? And we'll go home and we'll go get what it is we lost. We'll turn around and we'll go get that which is important. Here we are, 2021, and 2020 has left us. And it's true that we are, tend to be forgetful because of distractions. Distractions tend to... Well, distract us from things that are important. And 2020 was full of distractions, wasn't it? We had, a, well, a pandemic that still affects us today. And all of our attention seems to be focused on the numbers and, and the cases and, and whatnot. But in the midst of that, we had all of the upheaval economically, the, the, the upheaval socially as social unrest gripped our nation. 
on top of all of that, we had the vitriol that came out during the contentious election. We had lots of things to distract us. Would you agree? And we, here we are in 2021, and we, some of us have entered this new year and have woken up and said, wow, how did I get so bitter, so miserable, so resentful, so angry? It's because we have forgotten something important. We as a nation, perhaps even we as a world, have forgotten the virtue, the primary virtue of love. That's not just an indictment of our culture. It's really an assessment of the church, isn't it? We're no different. That we have entered into 2021 forgetting this virtue called love. You realize that love is the chief virtue, right? The Bible calls it, above all else, have love. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, if we do all of these spiritual things but we don't have love, we are what? You haven't read 1 Corinthians 13? We have nothing. We are nothing. Because without love, we are, in fact, nothing. And so, in order to go back and to recapture that which we have lost, that which is important, we need to go back to the source, back to the Scriptures, and see what it is that we have lost, and to recapture the love that God has asked us to be the virtue that marks us as Christians. In fact, Francis Schaeffer says it this way, the distinguishing mark of the Christian life is love, is love. You know, we don't typically lose our ability to love overnight. It's not a one-and-done deal that causes us to lose our ability to love. It's usually an erosion that happens over and over, and little by little, we lose our compassion, we lose our love, and we end up resentful and bitter. And here we are at the brink of a new year, What will we do with this year? Our hope is that as we look at this sermon series called The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, that we, in fact, as a church and as a people of God, will do just that, that we would learn to love again. If you have your Bibles or devices, turn with me to 1 John. We're going to be in this letter for the next several weeks. In fact, we're going to start in chapter 2 because, well, we just want to get ahead of the game, right? So we're going to start in chapter 2, starting in verse number 3. And as we look at this letter, we're going to understand how to learn to love again. But today, as we try to learn to love again, we are going to learn that to know God is to love God. To know God is to love God. The theme of 1 John can be found in chapter 1 and verse 3. It's actually the theme of fellowship. John writes in chapter 1 and verse 3, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You know the word fellowship. It comes from the Greek word koinonia. It has to do with communion or or participation. And, And so John, as he writes this letter to his original audience there in the first century, He wants to encourage his readers to join him in this communion, this fellowship with Jesus, with God the Father. But even for us who centuries later read this letter, John has that desire that we would have fellowship with God. But more than just fellowship, John wants us to know that we know. And we find that in chapter 5 and verse 13 where John writes these words, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 
So we're going to examine the question, how do we know that we truly know that we're in a relationship with God? If to know Him is to love Him, how do we truly know that we are truly in a relationship with Him? And in order to answer this question, we're going to look at verses 3 through 11. And as we do that, I want to pull out two virtues for you that the Apostle John gives us. And the first virtue is that to know God is to obey Him. To know God is to obey Him. Verse 3, the Apostle John writes, And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. One of the easiest ways to understand the theme or the purpose or the thrust of a passage in Scripture is to look at things that are repeated over and over again. And so if you apply that principle to these three verses, there's a word that continues to be repeated over and over again. It's the word know, K-N-O-W, to know. It's twice mentioned in verse 3, once in verse 4, once in verse 5, that we can come to know Him, that I know Him, that we may know Him. Know. So when we think of the word know, we usually think of a head knowledge, that that we have an intellectual understanding of something. We go to school, we learn stuff, right? We know math, some of us perhaps more than others. We know Stuff. Well, we Google stuff, and so we know stuff. We think we really know stuff because we have access to stuff really quickly on our fingertips. And that's, that's knowing something. That's good. It's an intellectual knowledge. It's head knowledge. But the word John uses is much more than that. It includes that. But more than just head knowledge, John adds to it with the word know, heart experience. See, it's good to know something. It's better to have that head knowledge drop down into your heart and to experience it for yourself. Would you agree? No? Some of you. Okay. The Apostle Paul gave us a wonderful example in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. If there is a box to check, the Apostle Paul says, I checked it in regards to righteousness according to the law, blameless. I mean, this guy had it all. And yet he says, I count all of these things rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. You see, Paul knew everything about God. He knew the Scriptures. He knew intellectually all there was to know about God. But it wasn't until on the day that he was on his way to Damascus when God intercepted and interrupted his life where he went from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge and it made all the difference in the world. Now you're looking at me, some of you, you know me. I'm a preacher. That's as far as you know. Some of you know a little bit more. You know that I'm an engineer that works at Ford. That's all some of you know. Some of you know I'm a husband married to my wife with three children. That's good. Some of you who know me for a little longer, you know a lot more about me. But you know who really knows me? My wife. Now, don't ask her. Live with what you have. This is good. Just please, just go with it. But who knows me well? My wife, your spouse, your parents. They know you well. That's what the Apostle John is talking about. 
It's not just a head knowledge, surface level understanding. It's a deep down experiential knowledge coupled with head knowledge that allows us to know that we are in a relationship with God. And so in our verses from 3 to 6, the Apostle John gives us a test. A test to know that we are truly in a relationship with God. But before we get there, I want to give you the two results that will come from us taking this test. And the first truth that will come out as a result of taking this test is that we will know God. You realize that God can be known. God isn't some transcendent God that's out in outer space somewhere out there who is not approachable. No, no, no. God is near us and wants to be known. He's approachable. He is knowable. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. He wants to be known. That's why he wrote this book. That's why he wants you to read it, because he's made himself known. He is knowable. So that's the first outcome of the test we're about to take. The second truth is not only that we can know him, but that we can know that we know him. How many of you think that's important? Three of you. That's okay. We'll go with it. The assurance of faith, the confidence to know that you know is important. Because there's a lot of people who think they know stuff, but they really don't know. They don't know. They've deceived themselves into thinking they know. But isn't it wonderful to know that not only can you know, but you can know that you know that you're in a relationship with Him. Praise God for that. So, those are the two outcomes of the test. So, what's the test? Aren't you glad you came to church on Sunday to take this test? End of uh, chapter 2 and verse 3, the Apostle Apostle John says, If we keep His commandment. It's as simple as that. How's the test? If we keep His commandment. But wait, how are we doing? Test taking? 101. If we keep His commandment. Now, you're sitting here going, I think I got it. Well, let me help you out. The key to that test is the word keep. The word keep. The word keep doesn't mean that you just stick something in your mattress or under your bed. That's not what the word keep means. The word keep means that you value something so so wonderfully, so it's so precious to you that you have a passion for it, that you are so dedicated to it, to guard it, to keep it, to obey it, to have a passion to follow it. You with me? That's what the word keep means. And so when John says, if we keep his commandments, it means that we have a love and a passion to guard and to do what God says to do. So let me go off script for just a minute. How many of you like New Year's resolutions? One person? Two. Thank you, young lady. God bless you. Really, church? None of you like New Year's resolutions? Okay, let's use a different word. How many of you like to do something with your life this year? (laughs) I got to roll with you. How many of you have committed to reading God's Word this year? Praise God. How about the rest of you? Do you realize that this Word was written for you? For those of you who didn't raise your hand, may I challenge you that this word is what's going to help you get through 2021. Things happen in our life and we wonder, God, what's going on? Why is this happening? And all the while, God's saying, well, I've told it to you. It's right here. 
Psalm 119 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not... Oh, there's that word again, sin. I wonder how to stop sinning. Well, duh, read. Study. Memorize. That's the point of keeping His commandment. You can't keep what you don't know. Do you understand? Sorry, if this is all in your face, I'm sorry. But the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God, and He's doing in your heart whatever He's doing. But if we're not reading this book and we're not in this book, then we cannot keep His commandments. And if we can't keep His commandments, then we can't pass this test, which means we are not who we say we are. Aren't you glad you came to church on Sunday? You just wanted to get a beating, I know. If you treasure and have a passion for God's Word and God's commandments, then you can have the assurance of knowing that you are a child of God. The opposite is also true. If you have no passion for God's Word and you have no passion to keep His commandments, then you are not a child of God. So how did you do? Passing the test? We're not so much passing the test. In verses 4 and 5, John goes on to say that there is a difference between saying and doing. It's easy to say that I'm a Christian. Agree? It's really hard to do. It's really hard to live like a Christian. If our lives are not lived in obedience to God's commandments, then the truth is, according to the Apostle John, we are deceiving ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. That doesn't mean that we don't sometimes come short of God's glory. It doesn't mean that we don't sometimes trip and fall. We do. It's truly a fact that we live in a sinful body, in a sinful world, that we sometimes do sin and come short of the glory of God. But praise God, because in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, John says, if we confess our sins to God, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that's not a cop-out. That we shouldn't use it as an excuse every time we sin. Oh, see, I just, I just messed up. It's all good. No, God gives us the Holy Spirit in our hearts to give us the power to live a righteous life. He does that. But He also knows we sin, and He's given us a way out. So He says to us, we are to keep His commandments. But the basic fact is still this. We are known <clears throat> by our fruit. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, for every tree, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Every tree. So the question this Sunday morning, the first Sunday of 2021 for you is, what kind of fruit are you bearing? What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? If it doesn't look like Jesus and doesn't taste like Jesus and doesn't smell like Jesus, perhaps we are deceiving ourselves. Now, if I tell you that I have an apple tree in my backyard, and I pick the fruit and put it in a basket and then bring it to you, and they look orange, and they taste like oranges, what kind of a tree do I not have in my backyard? I don't have an apple tree. I can pluck the fruit and paint it orange and put some essential oil of orange on it and give it to you, but it's still what? Orange, it's not an apple, means I don't have an apple tree. If we don't look like Jesus and we don't smell like Jesus and we don't taste like Jesus, guess what kind of tree we are not? Church, this is hard stuff. But it's necessary stuff. Are we, say, are we who we say we are? Or are we 
deceiving ourselves. John gives us another picture in verse number 6. He says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If we think we have a relationship with God, then the way we walk in this world should look like the way Jesus walked. So that begs the question, how did Jesus walk? Well, one author put it this way. Our audit of Christ's balance balance sheet is alarming. Bottom line is red. He came as God's gift. He gave himself away. He recklessly invested his whole life for you and me. The cross is the plus mark against the debits of our deliberate sins. All we have to offer him is our failures and rebellion. He did not love in proportion to the love offered him. No bartering lover, this Jesus. He was misunderstood, misused, mistaken, neglected by some, negated by others, betrayed by those who followed him, beleaguered by those who feared him. Love was his only response. If you say that you are a child of God in relationship with God, then your walk will be like this. That's a pretty high bar, would you agree? God did not call us to compare ourselves to each other. God said to compare yourself to Jesus. That's the bar. How are we doing? I know. It's hard. It's tough. It was tough for the last two days to write this message and to preach it to you because God sends me through the ringer first before He sends you. I just get to share with you what God put me through. How are we doing, church? How are you doing individually? Is there a love for God? Folks, we don't need to print our faith on a bumper sticker or on our wristbands or on a t-shirt. We need to print our faith in our lives so the fruit of our lives can look and taste and smell like Jesus so that others can look at us and say, there goes a Christian. If you love Him, you will obey Him. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones sums up these verses this way. He says, if you have the life, it is bound to show itself. And if it does not, then you, then you have not the life. You cannot be receiving the life of Christ without becoming like Him. You cannot walk with God without keeping His commandments. You cannot know God without immediately, automatically loving Him. Love always manifests itself by doing what the object of love desires. If you love Him, you will obey Him. That's the first virtue. The second virtue as we come to verses 7 to 11 is to know Him, is to love His people. To, lo- to know Him is to love His people. Verse number 7, John writes, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever hates his brother abides in the light, and in him him is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You read that passage and you go, wait, wait, John, uh, time out. You're contradicting yourself. You said it's old, but it's new, but it's not new. It's old, but it's really new. Which one is it? Is it old or is it new? Well, the answer is it's both. 
You see, the command to love one another isn't new because it's all the way in the Old Testament when God was speaking to His children of Israel, He said to love each other. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus summarizes all of the Old Testament laws this way in Matthew chapter 22. When challenged by someone asking Him, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus says the summary of the Old Testament in all of the laws and all of the regulations is love God, love people. Period. That's it. Love God, love people. So it's not a new commandment. It's an old commandment. But then Jesus in John chapter 13 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. But wait a minute, Jesus. I thought this was an old commandment. John, you're also messed up because you're calling it new and old and new again. I, which one is it? <clears throat> well, it's both. The reason we can't seem to grasp the, the truth behind old and new is because we only understand new as brand new, like a brand new car. Nobody wants one? I mean, it's all on TV. Everybody seems to get like Christmas gifts of a brand new car, your spouse not telling your wife that you financed it, right? But a brand new car or a brand new house that's never been lived in, freshly built, something brand new, that's how we use the word new. But in the Scripture, there's, a, there's another connotation to the word new, and that is new in quality, new in character. Here's a picture for you. It's a 1964 and a half Mustang. The lower right corner is a new Mustang. Is that new? Oh, please, help me out. Is that new? No, it's 1964 and a half. It's not new. But it looks new. You see, it's new in character. It's new in quality. It's no longer brand new. It used to look like the upper left. It was a rust bucket of stuff. But somebody worked diligently to restore it to beautiful. It's gorgeous. That's new in quality. Now, don't take this illustration too far. I'm not saying the old commandment is like the bucket of rust over there. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to help you understand that the word new can mean brand new, and it can be new in quality. So when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, and when the Apostle John writing here in this letter says, it's an old commandment, but it's new, what he's saying is, it's new in quality, because it has for the emphasis and for its example, Jesus. It's got a new quality to it. It's no longer just loving based on some laws written on some tablets. It's new because we have the example of Jesus Christ. Love one another as I have loved you. It's new because it has Jesus as its example. It was love that caused Jesus to love all those around him. The sinners and the publicans and the tax collectors and the prostitutes all came to him because of his love. It was love that caused Jesus to put up with the failings of his disciples. It was love that held Jesus or helped Jesus to heal and deliver all those who are hurting and who are destitute. It was, it was love that caused Jesus to be held to a cross by three nails. It was love that allowed Jesus to accept 
becoming sin as God the Father poured upon him the sins of the whole world. It was love that caused Jesus to cry out from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's love. That's the example. And Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his what? For his friends. But do you know what Jesus did? He didn't die just for his friends, did he? He died for everyone, including his enemies. And so when Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that's the quality. That's the new character of love that Jesus is bringing forth. And the Apostle John writes, it's an old commandment, but it's new because we have Jesus as our example. And Jesus in John chapter 13 and verse 35 says it this way, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples because you have the right bumper stickers. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples because you sing some wonderful praise worship. <clears throat> By this, all people will know that you are my disciples when you come to church on Sundays. Is that what it says? It's not a trick question. The answer is right in front of you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If we have love for one another. Folks, it's not about what we do. It's love. If we have love for one another. It's all about love. <clears throat> if we don't have deep love for God and a deep love for God's people, then we are deceiving ourselves. That's what John says. When we get to verse number 8, John says the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. Jesus is the light of the world. He said so, I am the light of the world. And as He brought that light into the darkness of our world, light dispelled that darkness and that light can no longer be extinguished. And those who walk in that light are, bar are marked by a new way of living, which is characterized by love. And if you look at these verses from 8 and 9, 10 and 11 here, you see John building a contrast. He says, there's light and love. They're a matched pair. They go together. They always go together, light and love. The contrast or the opposite of that is darkness and hate. Light and love, darkness and hate. You see, before the light of God pierced the darkness of our heart, we were <coughs> in darkness. We couldn't see. Darkness covers up everything. We may think we're headed one direction, but we're actually headed in the opposite direction. Darkness covers up where we step. That's why we trip over things and stumble and fall, because we're in darkness. <coughs> it's only when the light of Jesus Christ penetrates that darkness and dispels that darkness that we can see where we're going. We can see who we truly are. We can see what's ahead of us because it's the light of Jesus Christ that dispels the darkness. In verse number 11, John uses a word that I don't like. It's the word hate. I teach my children not to use that word. Anybody else? Yeah. I tell them, don't use that word. Use dislike, but don't use hate. But John uses the word hate. He says, if you hate your brother, no, no, let me ask a question. Anybody here hate a brother? Hate a brother? We'll, we'll talk afterwards. The rest of us, you're not going to put up your hand. So let me ask this question. Let's pretend we don't hate. We don't have enough ick in us to, to really hate someone. 
No bitterness so strong that we hate. Let's just pretend. <clears throat> and then John says, <clears throat> if you hate your brother, then you're not saved. That's essentially what he says. I am willing to bet that you and I don't have the same definition of hate that John does. So let's try this experiment. What's the opposite of hate? I'm going to try that again. A little louder, please. The opposite of hate is love. So what is love? God is love. Would you agree? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Jesus condescended to come into this world as a baby. We celebrated that a few weeks ago. He inconvenienced Himself by leaving the glory of heaven to come and live in this world, to experience hunger and thirst and no place to lay His head. He put Himself in a position to forego the glories of heaven, to be inconvenienced for you and for me. And then He sacrificed Himself for us on the cross. That's love. So what's the opposite of love? It's hate. But let's look at it from Jesus' point of view. The opposite of love, the opposite of love is being self-centered with no regard for others. The opposite of love is being self-righteous with no interest in self-sacrifice. The opposite of love is being selfish with no willingness to be inconvenienced for someone else. How about that definition of hate? If I could put verse 11 very plainly for us, here's what John is saying. If we're living for ourselves with no regard for others, with no interest in self-sacrifice to meet the needs of others, then the truth is that we hate our brother and we are not saved. How are we doing, church? Are we loving? Or is hate... This hate, unwillingness to be inconvenienced, unwillingness to self-sacrifice, unwillingness to put somebody else's needs above our own, is that true of us? The Bible says if it is, then we're deceiving ourselves and that we are in darkness and we aren't who we say we are. John is teaching us here that we cannot love God and hate his family. We must be willing to be self-sacrificial. We must be willing to be inconvenienced. We must be willing to say no to ourselves and yes to the needs of others, just like Jesus did for us. Would you agree that Jesus did that for us? That's love. And that's the kind of love that God is calling us to live. As we look around this room, as we look at our neighborhoods, as we look at the Zoom calls at work and we see those people who are hurting, perhaps there's someone we need to contact, someone we can pray for, someone we can enter into, whose lives we can enter into so they can, we can bless them with the Word of God. Probably maybe we just with prayer. How does loving God and loving one another look like? It looks like Jesus. It's the love that said Jesus to the cross. So, where does that leave you and me? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I am so thankful that you've chosen to wake up on a snowy Sunday morning and come to church. I'm so thankful that you are here. And if 2020 was a mess and the broken pieces of your life are all around you, may I tell you, all you have to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry for the mess I've made of my life, for the sins that I have committed. I turn away from my sins, and I turn to you. I accept your sacrifice. I accept you as Lord. And the Bible says the moment you confess him as Lord, you will be saved. There's no magic prayer. There's no magic words. It's simply a repentant heart and a confession that Jesus is Lord. If you do that today, you can start a whole new year where the light of Jesus Christ pierces the darkness, fills the deadness within you with His light and with His life, and He empowers you each and every day for His glory. For all of you who are here who do know Jesus Christ, I'm thankful for every one of you. So let me ask you this first Sunday of 2021, take the litmus test. To take the test. Don't be flippant about it. Don't just say, oh, yeah, 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 I got it all. I got it. I'm, I'm good. No, search your heart. Search deep within. Do I have a passion for His Word? Do I have a passion to obey His commandments? Do I love one another as Jesus has loved me? Friends, it's not easy to hear this. It's not easy to listen to John tell us this. But this is the way that we've started the new year. May I encourage you to take that test, to commit our lives to honoring Him to bearing fruit that looks like Jesus, that smells like Jesus, that tastes like Jesus, so that our aroma can bring glory to God and draw people to Him. Amen? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have given us this word to show us our way, to show us who you are, to rebuke us, to correct us, to encourage us, to train us up in righteousness. Thank you for your word. Father, may we fall afresh in love with you and with your word. And may we be found doing what you have called us to do, living out the principles of this word and evidencing that with love for one another. A love, the kind of love that you showed us, a love that sends you to the cross. May the love of Woodside Romeo truly overflow so that not only will the people in this campus know about the love of God in this church, but that every neighborhood in this area would be covered with the grace and love of an almighty God lived through the people of this campus. May your blessing rest upon each one of us here. As we go forth from here, starting lives in 2021, may your glory and your power cover us so that we might be a beautiful aroma to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and let's worship God together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.